Hatred for God's people is a common theme throughout history. We see it today, and Queen Esther certainly saw it in her day, too. And that's what we're talking about on Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, holding open the doors of the Bible bus as you hop aboard. Find your seat and open your copy of God's Word to Esther chapter 3, verse 7, as I share a few letters from our fellow passengers who listen to our Burmese language programs in Myanmar. As a quick reminder, Myanmar, that's formerly Burma, is the largest nation in Southeast Asia. The people of Myanmar have lived with warfare since 1942. Now, officially, the government allows for freedom of religion, but any group considered harmful to the state is harassed, they're persecuted, and often imprisoned, and that includes Christians. So, although Buddhism is no longer officially the religion of the state, the current military regime actively promotes it, and more than 82% of the people follow its traditions and customs. And that's why we rejoice that God's word is heard by listeners like this young man. May God bless all the brothers and sisters who work on this broadcast. I thank you for your deep love and for giving me an opportunity to study God's word regularly. Through your programs, I am challenged to stay on God's path for my life and not follow the evil practices of my family. I listen with fervor and await all that you have to teach me. Well, isn't that great? And a listener who calls herself Grandma called us to say, I heard your messages on Genesis and have been reviewing them over and over in my mind. Each day I come to understand more clearly about God's Word, and I receive much spiritual strength. I often share what I have heard with my friends and family, so please pray for my children and grandchildren. It is my longing that they, too, will serve the Lord. And then finally, our last letter comes from a listener in Sean State. That's the largest state in Myanmar. I'm listening to your studies in the book of Revelation. I look forward to your lessons, which relate to the Bible, to not only the time that Jesus was on the earth, but also to our time. Through much listening, I have come to desire to be a child who trusts and relies on God wholeheartedly, as he loves us unconditionally. In addition, I pray the Lord will help me show love to unbelievers by means of praying and sharing the good news without reservation. Please pray I have the strength and brave courage to live my life according to the scriptures and God's will. Many neighbors oppose my faith, but until now they have been peaceful. I know there are others who are not as fortunate, but I praise God that I am no longer afraid of Satan and his attacks because I know God is always beside me, protecting me. Well, if you'd like to join us as we travel on our knees praying for these listeners and millions of others around the world, then you need to sign up for our world prayer team. It's super easy to do. I mention it all the time. Go to ttb.org forward slash pray. Why don't you do it today? Now let's ask God for his blessing as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace that is with us all the time as we share our faith, especially those who are in danger of persecution. Please protect them, Lord, and encourage them from your word as they walk with you. Please use this time to strengthen the faith of all those who are listening with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's open to Esther chapter 3 and 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now last time, friends, in the third chapter of the book of Esther, at verse 7, we were introduced to the villain of the story. And believe me, he's a villain, the man Haman. And he is one of the anti-Semites that attempted to destroy the nation Israel. Pharaoh attempted it, and then we discovered that Herod attempted it, 
And then more recently, Hitler attempted it. Haman is in that lot. And they need to know that because these people have been the repository for the Word of God, the Word of God has come through them. And because the Lord Jesus, according to the flesh, came through this line, why, the devil has been anxious to destroy them. Now, as a nation, they're like the rest of the nations, far from God today. But nevertheless, God has a purpose for the nation, and there will be a turning back to him on the part of these people when God concludes his purpose in the church. Now, the devil has attempted to destroy them, and God has put up a certain hedge around them. God said when he called Abraham to make of him a nation, he says, I'll bless them that bless thee, I'll curse them that curse thee. And believe me, all you have to do is read history to find out that that is accurate and that that is true. And we also called attention to Isaiah 54:17. He says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. Too bad Haman didn't know about this. Well, if he'd even known about it, he wouldn't have believed it. But it's too bad he didn't believe it, because this was his undoing. But this man now has been elevated to a very high position in a world empire. He is the prime minister. And because this little man Mordecai will not bow to him, and I rejoice in him now. He's taking a stand that he should have before this. But at least now, he's taking a stand actually for the Mosaic law, for God. He will not bow down. And that disturbs this man Haman. It irritates him no end, and he's going to do something about it. But he didn't want to just lay hands on one little man. He now turns to the nation. Now, what's his plot? Notice verse 7. In the first month, that is in the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot before Haman, from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. Now, that was a form of gambling, and it was a lottery. And the lottery was used then to raise taxes. You see, actually, there's really nothing new under the sun, even today. And the income was not enough to take care of the budget. And that's not new either, by the way, today, that we're not able to raise enough. And so this man, Xerxes, had a big bill for the war. You remember, he had carried on a campaign against Europe, and he needed a great deal of funds. Now, Haman, apparently, in his position... Why, he probably had access to the tax records, and probably it was under his supervision that the taxes were collected and the method of the lottery being used, casting per. It was a form of gambling, and it was not enough. And that's an old story also. And they had to seek for some other method. Now, Haman was a very wealthy man, and he saw now an opportunity to accomplish his purpose. Verse 8, Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are different from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. 
Therefore, it's not for the king's prophet to tolerate them. Now, these people were different. Their laws were different. They followed the Mosaic law. Now, though they're not back in the land obeying God, they are following the Mosaic law, scattered throughout the kingdom. And as a result, this man Haman says, look, these unusual people, they are different, and they are probably people that we ought to exterminate. And his idea was, he said, he would bring into the king's treasures a certain amount. And that apparently was the amount to meet the deficit. And the king, of course, was interested in that plan. Most politicians are a way to raise more taxes and more money. And this seemed to be an out for him. And the king took his ring from his hand and he gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. And this king, he didn't take the trouble to inquire who the people were. He didn't even know who they were. I don't think he cared who they were. He just said, here's the ring. Now, that ring had on it his signature, and it would be pressed down into soft or warm wax. And that was the way the king signed his name. In that day, very few people could write. And this man probably couldn't write, actually. But that ring was his signature. And he just takes that off and hands it to Haman, tells him, now, whatever you want to do to exterminate these people, you go right ahead. Now, someone is going to say, but that certainly is showing no regard for human life. Well, did you expect this king to show regard for human life? He had dissipated the wealth of this kingdom in a campaign against Greece and it's variously estimated how many men perished in that campaign. It could have gone up to two million, but it didn't disturb him. It didn't worry him a bit that two million men laid down their lives for a bad move and a mistake that he made. But anyway, he's now turned the ring over to Haman, and Haman is going to use it. And we read here, verse 11, The king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribe called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and that was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's deputies and to the provinces who were over every province and to the princes of every people of every province according to its writing and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Now, this was quite an effort to get this word out because you will recall this is the media Persian Empire. It stretches from India all the way across Asia down through the Fertile Crescent and Mediterranean Sea, moves over and picks up some of Europe, all of Asia Minor, and goes down into Africa through Egypt down to Ethiopia. It was a vast kingdom, and in that there were people speaking many languages, a minimum of 127. But you do have to take into account that there were tribes in these provinces, and I do not know how many, but when you put all of that together, you've got quite a polyglot of languages. And as a result, why this decree, this law, had to be put in the language of all peoples. Now, this was quite a government project. There was called in scribes. And I'm sure that the carrying on of that government in that day 
was a big undertaking. They probably had buildings all over the place. The scribes that could translate into all these languages were there. And they were called in. The law was translated in all these languages. And then they had to have enough to cover the entire province. And then out front, why, there are tethered the dromedaries, the camels, the donkeys, and then some were just runners. All of these messengers came in, picked up their copies, and then they started out. And I tell you, the people that were in Shushan, they're in the capital city. They said, my, something is certainly going on up at headquarters. It looks like that they're getting ready to send out a very important announcement. And then that announcement goes out. Will you notice verse 13? And the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the property of them for spoil. Now, this is the decree, you see. It was anti-Semitism of the worst kind. And that sort of thing has been an infection in the human race. It is satanic to the core. I don't care what you might think of these people, my friend. You and I have no right as Christians to indulge in anti-Semitism. It is satanic. It's not of God. And after all, God is gracious, and he's been gracious to us. He'll be gracious to them. Now, verse 14, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready for that day. Now you can imagine the effect that it had upon these people. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city, Shushan, was perplexed. Susa, the capital was perplexed, this great city. The population, they couldn't understand this. These people were not traitors. They had not committed a great crime. And why should extreme measures be used like this to try to exterminate them? And so out over the kingdom, there goes these riders with this message. And when these people there in the capital saw it first, why, they were perplexed, but didn't bother the king he and old Haman, they sat down and had their cocktails together that evening. They had the happy hour, and they were delighted. Now, the king did not realize that that law that was going into effect would touch his queen. He didn't know at this time that she belonged to the nation Israel. He didn't realize that, and he will find it out in time. But that law now is to exterminate these people. Now, the law cannot be revoked. We've already seen one law that set aside Vashti the queen, and it couldn't be changed. Even the king couldn't change it. Now, this law, having been made and sent out and passed with the king's signature, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be changed. Now, how will God save his people? There'll have to be another decree made. Somebody's going to have to intervene. And by the way, God had been preparing for this. We've opened this book, talked about the providence of God. And we looked in a pagan palace where there was a drunken orgy going on, several thousand attending a banquet. And a family scandal is revealed, and the 
queen refused to obey the king, and she set aside. And somebody says, what's that got to do with it? Has everything to do with it. God was moving. God's going to move into a position right next to the throne, a person that's going to be the means of saving these people. God does it by his providence. This king didn't say, now, I want to do God's will. <laughs> He's not interested in God's will. Well, God will overrule him. After all, when Caesar Augustus signed a tax bill, and on that tax bill... Why, all the world was to be taxed. And suppose that you and I had been there and we said, Say, Caesar, did you know that when you sign that tax bill, you're fulfilling prophecy because you're going to cause a maiden up at Nazareth to get down to Bethlehem and she's going to have a baby down there and that's going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. And I think old Caesar Augustus would have laughed and said, I don't know anything about babies, but I do know about taxes. And that's a tax bill and he signed it. And, you know, that's the way that it moved. God was back in Caesar's palace, too. Standeth God in his shadows, keeping watch over his own. Now, it may be that we do need more police today, and I think we do, and it's not safe on the street. But thank God we have a God that's standing in the shadows, keeping watch over his own, because Satan would like to destroy his own today. Now, this decree's gone out. And it's not going to be altered or changed. If you think that the king is going to be able to just revoke it, you're wrong. He won't be able to. And there was somebody that believed that decree, and it was none other than Mordecai. And that brings me to chapter 4. And the title I have for this chapter is, For Such a Time as This. Now, when Mordecai learned all that was done, Mordecai tore his clothes put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the center of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry, came before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. My, what a performance, this man. He gets in sackcloth and ashes. No prayer, but there's sackcloth and ashes. Why? He believes that decree. He knows that decree is accurate. He knows that decree can't be changed, and so he believes. Now, friends, there's come out from God a decree. Actually, the world today as a whole doesn't believe it. And that decree that's come out from God is, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And all have sinned and come short of righteousness. We've come short of the glory of God. We've come short of that. We don't meet his standard at all. And even the dying thief on the cross said to the other, he said, we indeed justly. This man dying next to us, this wasn't for him. He's dying in another's place. But we indeed justly. You and I deserve death because we belong to the human race in which it said, and Adam all die. And death is passed upon all men. Because all have sinned. We sinned in Adam. Death's passed on us. And even the little baby will die. And it's appointed unto man once to die. And after death, the judgment. Now, there's a great many people today think that's been altered. They think that's been changed. They think that somehow or another that God's become soft and he's become sentimental and that God is not able to go through with it, that 
After all, he just loves everybody, and he does. <laughs> Can't change that. Well, he'll never save you by his love. He saves you by grace. By grace are you saved. And today, the decree has never been changed. I had this experience. I had a Bible class down in Escondida, and one of the young people there, and there were quite a few young people attending those classes, but they're interested in the Word of God. And they sent up a question, for I spent the first part of the hour answering questions. And the question this girl sent up, she says, I wrote a paper and gave it to my teacher on why Christ had to die. And the teacher said that the Bible does not teach. Let me read her question. I have it here. I wrote a term paper about why people don't accept Christ. My teacher said that the Bible says people are not sinful. May I say to you that I know that we've got a lot of teachers today that are Christians. Well, we got a lot, my friend, that are not only not Christian, they're just ignorant of the Bible. And I don't mind a teacher not being a believer, but to be so ignorant of the Bible, you'd make a statement like that. The Bible does say that you're sinners. And you and I belong to that kind of a race. That has never been shamed. And if you want a proof of it, why well, read your paper? and see what's happening in the world today. These are not a nice group of little Sunday school people today that are lying, that are stealing, that are murdering, that are holding up folk on the street, and it's not even safe for a person to walk on the streets today. Why isn't it? Is it because that we've got such fine, nice, lovely people that this is happening? No, we're all a bunch of sinners. Every one of us, we belong to that race. And God says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. My friend, that decree's never been changed. You've got to have another decree to overcome it. And we're going to have to look at that next time. And somebody says, well, what about keeping the law? Let me say this. The Scripture says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Are you prepared to say that? You obey all of God's law? I don't think there's any person today that would make a statement like that unless they're totally ignorant of what the Word of God has to say. Be as ignorant as that school teacher was that would make an asinine statement like that. My friend, you can disagree with the Bible, but you just are in no position to say that the Bible doesn't say that people are sinners. That's what it's all about. That's the reason Christ came. He said he came into the world to save sinners. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. You know why he said he didn't come to call the righteous? Because they're none righteous. He came to call a human family because they're all sinners, and he offers the only salvation today. No man cometh to the Father but by me, he said. Now we'll pick up there next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Learn more about the salvation God offers us through His Son, Jesus, at ttb.org by clicking on the banner, How Can I Know God? There you'll find a bunch of free resources that we've set aside just for you, including several messages and booklet downloads. You can look for Dr. McGee's popular booklet, The Faith Equation, Faith plus zero equals salvation. 
or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll send a few of those resources out to you by mail. Well, if you're enjoying the study of Esther as much as I am, you may want to invite your friends to join you as well. They can listen to these messages anytime online or search our radio station listings when they visit us at ttb.org. Or another great way to join us is by downloading our new Bible companion for Esther. And while you're at ttb.org, there are a couple of other free resources that you should sign up to receive. First, we have our weekly email, This Week on the Bible Bus, and it keeps you up to date on all that's happening, and it includes links to our studies and some pretty terrific resources, too. And then there's our monthly newsletter. That's a resource our Through the Bible family really loves. It's got more teaching from Dr. McGee and really great information on how you can go deeper in our current study, and then stories about how God's at work through His Word all around the world. Again, sign up for these at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if you've got any questions. Well, the excitement in this little book of Esther is just beginning, so join us next time as more of her story unfolds. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving you a seat as the Bible bus rolls along in our grand adventure through God's entire Word. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?